welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Today, Jim sits down with Dr. Lauren Casella, Assistant Professor and Academic Program Director at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. One of the last trips Jim made pre-pandemic was to visit Dr. Casella at LMU, and you can tell from their conversation that they were excited to rekindle their discussion. Before entering higher education, Dr. Casella served as a teacher, administrator, and principal within the Chicago Archdiocese for 10 years. She was also a consultant with the LMU family of schools, providing ongoing support of local Catholic schools focusing on the integration of social and emotional learning curricula. In her current role, her focus is on building leadership capacity of Catholic school principals and administrators. Dr. Casella holds a Bachelor of Arts from Loyola Marymount University in Liberal Studies, a Master's of Arts in Administration and Supervision from the Loyola University Chicago, and she received her doctoral degree in Education, Leadership, and Teacher Education from the University of Southern California. Without further ado, we hope you enjoy this conversation between Dr. Casella and Jim. Part of my work is the formation and preparation for new uh, principals um, who want to serve as leaders. And one of the first courses that we begin with is called an invitation to lead. And that class is really a deep dive into how they're called to the work of leadership, um, who were the key leaders in their life, um, good leaders examining their own their own selves, their own intersectionality of their identity, what, and specifically with social emotional learning too. Mm -hmm. It's knowing yourself, knowing how you respond in different situations, um, knowing your triggers. I myself can have a temper for sure learned that as being a mom, um, that came out more pronounced. So I just watch different situations and, um, and I show up in a way that I try to be more intentional when I know that something may have the potential to bother me. Um, yeah. I just, it's just the awareness piece um, that I could try to share my journey in leadership with our new, with our new graduate students. And then they as well kind of share, you got to know yourself, um, yeah. know who you are, know your core, and then you can really support others and kind of move people towards a vision. So I, okay. So making notes, know yourself so that you can support others and move toward your vision. I love that idea completely. Um, we, you brought something like that up before we hit record. It seems aligned with some of that work on teacher resilience, like the, the importance of identifying what the vision is. Uh, mm -hmm. You used a great word, being able to orient around something. We, we call those, uh, well, no, you, you said purpose-driven. We call them anchor concepts. Yeah. Um, can you tell us more about that work that you do? Sure. So yeah, anchor concepts. Sometimes we talk about it in education, like what are your non-negotiables? Yeah. Um, what are things that um, are your core values? So in some ways, when we talk about social emotional learning, we think about it too um, as a foundation and a vision for, for wholeness or wellness. Mm. And oftentimes right now in education, we're talking about education for the whole child. So whole child approach. Mm -hmm. And so teacher resilience is asking us to think about that for us as teachers, mm -hmm. how do we um, foster that wholeness for ourselves? And so one way, for example, the work I do in Catholic schools um, and some of the research in SEL that's going on now is understanding what, um, what a spiritual quotient is. Okay, so mm -hmm. if we think about this way, so we know we have 
emotional intelligence that I think October was emotional intelligence month. So that for us is our EQ. It's our ability and skills to cope with frustration, recognize, manage our emotions, most of the work of SEL that we're doing. It also includes the social brain. So how we track people's physical body movements, even here on Zoom, how we track eye contact, Mm. make sense of it. Um, We know we've got IQ. So for most of us, we get that that's the cognitive skills of remembering executive functioning. And then I think one, one kind of piece we're uncovering here with this idea of wholeness is a spiritual fitness or quotient, the, the orientation that you have to, let's say, a purpose-driven life. And mm-hmm. so a spiritual kind of foundation for life, let's say, would be that you would understand your identity as having meaning and purpose, Hmm. as opposed to maybe without a spiritual core, it would be acquiring success. So, you know, I know you've done a lot of work in that and saying like, what gifts can you bring and and how can you kind of foster young people to have a sense of purpose beyond the sport? I mean, the sport is, is how we, we demonstrate meaning and how we can, um, we know we have inherent worth kind of outside of our abilities. So that is a way of identifying a spiritual core. And then lastly, I would say that a task that we try to work on in social emotional learning is making sense of good and bad events in our lives. Mm -hmm. So one way to think about it is with a spiritual core, perhaps, um, Lisa Miller argues, she has a great book, Spiritual Child, that's somewhere here in my office, mm-hmm. that she argues that you make sense of good and bad events with a spiritual core saying, these are blessings, these are opportunities, these are moments of learning and growth. Whereas perhaps without a spiritual core, it might be, it, I deserved it, or it was uh, a failure on my part that this mm. happened. So in a way, it's, uh, I feel like a a spiritual understanding or a spiritual core can help give the why behind like, why do we want to be empathetic or like, why do we want to be the best versions of ourselves? So that's kind mm. of the, in the spiritual core. So spiritual fitness is like a super fun new concept that, <laughs> that I'm learning about right now. Well, I, for, I, I love that. This, uh, and I, and I'm making my notes. I said, could a spiritual core um, for the right person, essentially be the essence of a growth mindset, at least the way that you framed it. It seems so inherent uh, to that capacity. I'm sure people listening to this know what a growth mindset is, but um, mm-hmm. like what you said, like, like this is an opportunity to grow. This is a challenge that I'm, I'm sort of being asked to step up to and navigate mm-hmm. instead of, oh, look, you know, I failed somehow. I blew it. This is, you know, this is the worst. What an important idea. So for, um, I, I don't know how to say this because this is like we talked about off camera, like, you know, um, for the faithful, I don't know if that's the right term. That sure. might be exactly, exactly the right place to start in moments where resilience is required, revisiting that in order to progress forward. Does that sound right? Is that? Sure. And um, it doesn't have to be like a formal religious practice necessarily, but there's, you know, many ways to make space for the divine, perhaps in that, um, in, in a lot of sense, um, you know, the concept of resilience is almost like a letting go or a surrender. Mm. And so one might say that it's, um, 
with an understanding that there's a divine presence, you can surrender kind of somewhere into something as opposed to just saying like, I'll just like, let it all go. Um, and one of my favorite, um, kind of favorite authors in this work is Father Richard Rohr. Some of your listeners may be familiar with him, but he was recently interviewed in the Wall Street Journal. And they were asking a bunch of kind of famous people about resilience. And so he mentions, and obviously as a Franciscan friar, so this is his worldview that he's coming towards this. He said, quote, resilience is really a secular word for what religion was trying to say with the word faith and why Jesus emphasized faith even more than love. So here, you're going to love this. He says, without a certain ability to let go, to trust, to allow, you don't get it to any new place. If you stay with order too long and you're not resilient enough to let a certain degree of disorder take place, he says, you don't get very smart. You just get rigid. Wow. he says that, that faith is both good order and acceptable disorder. So in with my leaders this week, I mean, we're like teachers, you guys know this, we're in the disillusionment phase of October, <laughs> November. We're trying to create a creative reordering that sometimes happens in these moments when it really feels hard and heavy. And there's almost like a, a surrender to kind of a, the divine presence in your life and then just kind of see where the spirit moves you if that's not too like <laughs> wishy-washy for everybody but in a sense that's resilience too i'm crazy inspired by this right now this like uh faith is both good order and acceptable disorder what a brilliant and interesting idea and I, i'm i'm so moved by that and and i'd say you know we talked about this i for the people, you know, of differing faiths and backgrounds, Mm -hmm. there is still very much, um, it comes back to an idea that we've actually touched on many times. Mm -hmm. I bring it up probably off, off the microphone more often than I do on, but, Mm -hmm. you know, minimally, uh, in, if you were to examine a life and in the universe, like there is unending room for humility and the understanding that we don't have the answers for everything. So, so whatever, you know, even if you are the, you know, even if you take that secular version of resilience into account, absolutely fine. Uh, you know, the, the truth in there holds in some way, like if you are just continually trying to force order on something that is like, even like in the minds of the most brilliant people on the planet, you know, unnameable, you know, at the extent of physics and theoretical in a lot of ways, Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you don't necessarily become smarter. You become more rigid. That really, that's a really interesting quote too. So having some, making some space, mm-hmm. and having some humility, uh, mm-hmm. in, in tough times, um, acceptable disorder. I can't get it. I know. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. I mean, if you have those, yeah, please do. I, that's do, interesting. I do. And I think rigidity can be met with rigidity. And like you and I know that that's, um, it's not a good place to train and to learn and grow. So, um, if anything, I think a lot of our listeners we've learned in the past year and a half to, um, to just kind of, the serenity prayer, let's say, accept the things that you can, um, and can't and kind of work within the, the frame that we're given to say, how do I make the best of this? How do I be my best self here? And what, 
you know, what am I being asked to do in this moment, in this time? You know, we're here for a very short time on this earth. And for some reason, all of us, all of us listeners, we're kind of here for this moment. So that's yeah. kind of the call. That's kind of the cool thing. You know, I, we're, we're I want you to know higher. this is, this is just, I want to be, I'm, I'm, in my head, I'm like debating how deep do we go on this because this is about this is about as deep as I go uh, on a on a work week, like work day. Uh, I, I just I I love it. Um, well, it's a journey. Let's just put it that way. I mean, it is a journey. But you know what? Kind of talks about like you know wh- wherever you are on your journey, that's that's where you are, and we we just happen to all be kind of on this journey together in 2021, trying to figure things out. And what a what an unbelievable gift! Mm-hmm. And and why couldn't we start by recognizing that? That's I'm I'm with you entirely. So um, I'm also I don't I don't know if you know this. This is this is where I was going. Okay, so I make art, as you know. And I would say if I had to give sort of like a a thesis statement for everything that I've been working on for the, probably the past two decades is what I was working on this morning, by the way, just this morning. Oh, gorgeous. Um, Wow. Thank you. Uh, But the the picture doesn't do it justice, but I'm sure. That is so kind of you. Actually a picture through the phone, through the zoom is is, is better than in person. So (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But, but I, I recognize like, so I don't know if you can see here, and and if you are listening to this podcast, uh, I'll try to post this on. <laughs> drop it in the show notes. I'll drop it in the show notes. I'll post to Zoom as well. But like I don't know if you can see, there's like a something recognizable. Do you see that? That's actually um, that skull. Oh wow! Yes, it's what actually like a it's like a beaver skull. Like long story for uh, I got I was gifted this book of skulls. Um, man, this is taking a strange turn, but, but it kind of, that's something that looks like a thing, right? But, um, and for those who can't see it's, it's in like sort of pastels, blue and yellow, um, Mm -hmm. on a really strange background. Uh, it's, it looks like something, but it wasn't intended to mimic that thing exactly. Mm -hmm. And although I've sort of trained to, to draw and I've taken classes like that, again, for those who don't know, I was a studio art major in college and, and, and I make a lot of work still, um, for whatever reason, you know, replicating what exists here on the, you know, on the planet, still lives, things like that Mm. have never interested me that much. They've always been sort of a training tool. And once I get to the place of painting and really trying to pull something together, uh, it, it feels like it's, it's always been, it's always had this somewhere in the spirit of it. Like, navigating the, the the balance between good order and acceptable disorder and and like you know nothing that i do is is uh i, I would think i work mostly abstractly but in everything i make i i there i try to include components that are so at least somewhat recognizable whether it's text or familiar images like that so that a viewer can sort of find their place find their moments of order within what something which is otherwise uh semi-chaotic um, but that's what I've been, I feel like this is, man, I don't know what our podcast editor is going to allow me to keep in this. He might cut all this, but, but it just, it, it just resonates with me so much. Cause that's the journey, isn't it? It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's not pretending to have a full grasp on the chaos of the world. It's, it's, uh, management in the presence of all of that. 
And I would say too that for for us as educators and coaches, we may be familiar with Maslow's motivational model. I mean, I think we're I think your listeners will understand the psychological needs being at um, kind of the bottom of this pyramid, and then the safety needs, belonging, love, esteem, and then you go into the growth needs. And typically, the triangle ends with self actualization. So that might kind of sound familiar in a sense that like that's the best version of ourselves at the top of the triangle okay well towards the end of his life Maslow revised his triangle to include transcendence at the top so not necessarily religious in nature but referring to the highest and most inclusive or holistic levels of human consciousness and you know someone could say a connection with something greater than oneself so in a sense, back to what we mentioned, you know, the idea of social emotional learning, um, identifying our emotions, you know, sense of self-confidence, self-efficacy, self-motivation, you know, analyzing problems. I mean, the whole castle wheel has all of these components to it. Right. You know, the purpose and the why behind we do all that, I think is, is an important part for teachers to understand for the their own self, like impulse control and motive and their own motivation. And then two for schools to identify, you know, their mission, you know, whether it's service learning or leadership um, in service of others. So I like that the, the concept of SEL is not entirely just um, motivated by, you know, internal self. Like I just want to be my best self for myself, but you know, it's really about a, a higher calling and a purpose that I think this allows us to do when we teach it intentionally, all that good stuff. I, I agree completely. Have you, have you heard of, uh, the easel lab? Um, um yeah, didn't, did you send that to me like two years ago? Um, they did a big crosswalk, I That's think right, multiple right. factors, mm-hmm. um, social emotional learning components yeah Um, that was stephanie jones that's at at harvard yeah 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 Mm -hmm. so stephanie jones is uh uh an advisor to the good athlete project so thank you steph if you hear this um and i think i listened listened to your podcast stuff oh great oh yeah she was on right (laughs) yeah she was she was and there you go steph if you are listening you're changing people's lives yes and uh yeah, but she's she's amazing and she's she also happens to be brilliant and took on this really ambitious project, which was to mm-hmm. compare all these successful SEL frameworks and you can sort of uh, mess around with the tool on their website easel like like uh, like a painting easel. Um, and if, if someone wants to look it up and and you can start to just by toying around with it, like go mess with it on your lunch break, you can find some similarities and we've used that to source and use the word purpose. We use as sort of a a bedrock to social emotional learning. We have a a three pronged approach and they're happening simultaneously. We say self-awareness, which you've addressed heavily purpose Mm -hmm. and self-management. And they really are, you know, these are, so SAPSM is written like in the corner of a lot of whiteboards in in my space, really. So like, you know, and, and if any one of those things is missing, it's hard to operate, whether that's through resilience, whether that is at the beginning of a new school year, whatever might be happening, uh, a global pandemic, whatever it is, we, you know, you need self-awareness to identify 
as accurately as you might be able to, or at least something that's true to you, a sense of purpose, self-awareness to get to purpose, working hand in hand. And then self-management um, that, that moves you toward a purpose, like that's the only sort of self-management probably that matters, you know, like, you know, disciplined toward what, mm-hmm. you know, isn't, isn't uh, a question all the time. And then again, work it back in. And then a question, you know, a self-awareness are the methods that I'm taking are the self-management skills that I'm trying to utilize. Are they moving me toward my purpose or not? So there's this constant conversation happening between the three, but. Um, Do your habits match your goals, people? <laughs> I took that from you, by the way. So it's everywhere. I was wearing the t-shirt yesterday. Does we say, does your behavior match your goals? Yes, does your behavior yeah. match That's it. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's and that's, I think that's a tool of reflection, of critical yes. self-reflection. And we need to just cultivate a space for doing that. And, um, and I think what, what I think the Good Athlete Project is doing that I think is really, is really amazing is that we can't, typically these skills just aren't absorbed just mm. by being around people. Yes, we have to model it, but there also has to be an, like teachers, we understand this as direct instruction. Like we need to have direct instruction lessons on kind of unpacking what empathy looks like. So it's like mm. kind of sniffing out, you know, passive aggressive comments and using the language that kids and that we use now to, to kind of listen for, listen with an empathetic ear. And that's a skill. And I think the more we can be direct about it um, and let kids and ourselves practice it, that's, that's the great part I think about SEL curriculums, but teachers, we need help. Like we, we can't just, kind of all of a sudden think we can just come up with a lesson plan to teach empathy. So that's what I think we, um, for sometimes curriculums, if we just hand it to teachers, that's not great, but we need something. So. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Literally last night, um, we met with two leaders of a team that we're working with, Mm -hmm. um, essentially the two co-captains. And we talked about, we did all these, reflection exercises about like, you know, what, you know, what, what sort of mentoring modeling uh, leadership has been valuable in your life? What do you wish you would have had um, when you were a freshman or whatever? And you, you know, so ultimately getting to this, I, this list of things, qualities um, that they'd want to espouse themselves as leaders. And it was great. And I'm telling you, it was like magic. Like we were flying conversation, going back and forth. Everyone's so excited. And then, then we got to the next step, which was, um, we said, okay, empathy, which was one of them. Mm. Um, how, how would you demonstrate that? And it was like crickets. Mm-hmm. And we actually, in two of our two coaches walked into the meeting room, um, just to check in on us when that happened. And we challenged them. We're like, just, you know, be empathetic toward the coach right now who had just come in from the cold, you know, uh, and nothing. They couldn't do it. Now, this is certainly not a critique on, on the, the young leader. We got to a place. But I, I think one thing that might be happening in this moment also is that like with this uh, this this forward charge of social emotional learning in schools and and far more slowly, but somewhat in sport, we can start to name this stuff and recognize that it's important. But I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, I wonder if we fully you know, we see the tools. I don't know that we know how to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, and most likely what you're seeing with our sports teams is that 
for those who can identify their own emotions, they have a perception of their own identity. They have a sense of kind of grounded self-confidence. Those are the foundational skills to then be able to evaluate decisions and to show empathy and to practice perspective taking. Mm -hmm. So that's why most of the time we talk a lot about the self-management and self-awareness piece as Mm -hmm. kind of the foundational to be able to then do the relationship skills with other people. And I just once again, reiterate that this is not just for kids. I mean, mean, this is what we as coaches, we as teachers, we need so much practice in this because the kids watch us when our faculty, fellow members, when, you know, when the bell rings, they're holding kids or, you know, someone lets a kid out early, we're eye rolling. I mean, the kids see this, like they know we lose it in road rage. We're tired. We overreact. It's a, it's a constant journey of, of kind of learning how to be in the world. So, and we're just learning more about ourselves. And the more we learn about ourselves, man, the more work I feel like I have to do, but (laughs) it's really, and when the kids see that, when they're like, wow, she really kind of took a step back and said, you know what? I need a minute. My ears are hot right now. Like I'm noticing that this is really frustrating me. I need to take a minute. Um, in other ways too, that's a great way to show in the moment. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up something really important, emotion regulation. I'm not sure there's an SE skill, SEL skill that is more powerfully taught through modeling than emotion regulation. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I think about it, so, cause so much, so many of them are language based <clears throat> growth mindset, you know, of course they're social and emotional, but growth mm-hmm. mindset is governed by language. You have to sort of name you know, it's a, it's a challenge or an obstacle rather than a failure or a setback, you know, and you have to sort of talk yourself through these things, you know, cult, the ability to, you know, cultivate self-talk, like grit, you have to have these explicit, you have to name things. Anyway, motion regulation does seem to be the most modeled. Um, and, And I bring this up. I had a conversation with a parent the other day and, and I like, probably out of bounds for me. I should, I should have been nicer. No, I was nice. I was plenty nice. I just asked the person to reflect uh, th- this person's child, the most important thing in the world to them, totally understandable was, was not um, was struggling with emotion regulation. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And I won't go into too many details, but um, you know, in, in an athletic setting, especially was, was struggling with the ability to regulate emotion. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, the, but you wonder when you see a child who is, you know, reacting and, and being so reactive, mm-hmm. um, you, you can't help but reflect on the idea that, you know, how many car rides from, you know, when, when the kid was in a car seat until now, you mentioned road rage, were you mm-hmm. like cussing and, and, and upset because, because what, because you're sitting in traffic in the grand scheme of things, what is that really, you know, it's understandable. I, I have empathy. I've been in traffic many, many times, but, but it, it really isn't the worst thing in the world. And if you're demonstrating anger in the presence of those you know, momentary setbacks, that, that's, it, it's osmosis kind of, it's just, you know, going right into the child. So um, I know that you've never done that. So that's why I feel 
Oh, I mean, yeah, we we had an incident in the car actually this morning. Oh, and, did you? Uh, so <laughs> my husband may have been driving and someone may have tried to, you know, merge in, in which yeah. we continued going because that's what we did. But definitely the the heart rate was monitored as a huge spike and it was perceived as a threat for a car merging in um and but that was that's our physiological response to danger when we feel like something is scary or going to happen or um it doesn't have to be physical but it can be you know an emotional guard that we put up and i think that's the the part about social emotional learning is that the reflection then of Okay. Uh, clearly what caused me to feel this way? Well, I felt like someone, you know, tried to do this. I was in, I am referring to the mood meter, which is one of my favorite tools. It's, um, it's an app. It's one of the ruler is the, um, the ruler approach out of Yale. They use, um, in many of our schools in, in Chicago area too. And if you can name it like, okay, enraged, yes. How are you expressing this feeling? So if you're asking yourself, well, I either pounds it on the steering wheel or I was, you know, um, he did give a thumbs up as opposed to the other finger. So, okay. So a thumbs up, which, uh, which Karen Casella encourages a thumbs up instead of something else. Um, And then the last question really is, what strategy are you going to use to feel more, less, or the same Hmm. situation? So it's like, it's appropriate to have that response. Do you want to move into a different, you know, color on the mood meter? So out of the the red and maybe into calm or, you know, into yellow, Um, because you're you're plotting your pleasantness and your energy. So Hmm. that's really the piece that I find is that you know, we don't, as teachers, and as, we're not going to demonize the feelings that we have, but it's, um, it's then asking, do we have the tools and the, and the capacity to kind of move ourselves if mm-hmm. we feel needed? You know, if, if you're, if we're feeling sad and we're having like one of those, we're, we're grieving, we're having a rough time, you know, we don't, the toxic positivity is also, <laughs> not a good thing. So we don't want to just constantly be like high energy and pleasant. Some people live in the yellow quadrant, totally great. Um, but it's, it's saying it's okay. Cause I'm going to sit with this for a minute and going back to that kind of spiritual core, I'm going to sit and understand this, um, as best I can. And do I have the tools that I need in case I want to kind of not sit in the blue? So right. low energy, low pleasantness. Yeah. If we can do that for ourselves and our kids. I mean, that's the fun part. And knowing that we're switching emotions, like, you know, on a low day, like 300 times a day, you know, right. between. You could name, it's so funny, the very concept of emotion. Let me touch on that before I go to the concept of emotion. But but you're you're right. And I hope everyone out there has heard what you just said, because it's it's called emotion regulation, not emotion negation. Like you, the, the, the goal is not to pretend that stuff is not, that you're not feeling stuff or, you know, that, that a, a traffic incident didn't heighten, you know, your, your, your pulse, your, your stress response, all that, like, it's not pretending that you're not sad. And to those constantly happy folks, it's not pretending that you're not happy. It's, but it's, it's, it's a sense of it's regulation. It's, it's identifying, selecting, um, 
the outcome that you want, or at least working toward an idea of, of a preferred outcome right. and building the tools to take steps toward it. Um, mm -hmm. It always comes back to tool selection, but yeah, emotion regulation, not negation. You, mm -hmm. you got to feel stuff. Um, it's you got to feel stuff. And you, and I think I, I will tell, I will say this, the idea that I did not realize my, my competitive streak, how it was going to show up in being a parent watching my kids play flag football. I did not know that. So, um, okay. So it's flag football. So there shouldn't really be pushing from behind in the end zone. Okay. So there was, there was such incident. I did not realize that I would be reacting in a way that is like, I'm one of those crazy people who is now losing her mind on the sidelines and every, all the kids are fine, physically fine. Yeah. I am not fine. Like, I am very mad. So now that I know this kind of about myself, I have to mentally prepare and be more intentional of how I'm going to kind of be a spectator at these events. It's not that I don't care about the outcome. Yeah. It's just that now I know that my fuse is very short in this setting and that, um, I have to reframe and remind myself some of like the key phrases, like it's about having fun. Like obviously the signs, I was like, that's not for me. Okay. It's for me, but I need to be more intentional about my mood going to a game. Like I can't show up to a game with already high, high right. effect, I need to bring deregulate. I just need to deregulate. So that's what I'm working on. It's a new, it's a new area for me. Look at you. That's incredible. <laughs> it's so funny to think. If I don't, I'm going to be hauled off. In a police that's right. Yeah. Maybe it's not even a choice. This was It's not. It's yeah. not. That is hilarious. The uh, it's just, it's funny because you have such a, uh, a warm and kind presence and it's kind of like, I hope, I hope Matt maybe got some footage of this or something like this, because I would, I would love to see the, the intensity. Uh, what, what was the age of the, the kids that you were young? Oh, six, 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 five and six. Right. Right. <laughs> of course they're five and six. They're kindergartners and the kids totally fine. The adults not fine, but Good. now I know like this is an area that I need to work on. So that's right. That's okay. Um, can, can we do this? Can yeah. we also, can you tell me a little bit about where that competitive streak came from your athletic background? Um, well, I guess, I mean, I didn't grow up as like an A plus star athlete. I mean, I was the, the oldest of four girls. Uh, so kind of, I think just being the oldest child, there's a little bit of that wanting to like sure. be in control, be competitive. And then I just loved swimming. So I was lucky enough to, um, have my mom, you know, put me in a pool. They said I was very buoyant. That was also <laughs> probably an indication of my size at the time. So I was very, oh, yeah. um, and, uh, so yeah, I swam at Hinsdale Central. So go Red Devils uh, for all your listeners there. But had many meets in the north in the north suburbs, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, I just I loved sports. I played um, volleyball and basketball, not well, but I felt like the exposure to lots of sports, which I know your listeners kind of think about um, being individual sports, team sports. You know, played tennis and then swam in college. So. Yeah. Um, 
Tell me about your college experience, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Whatever you're willing to share, at least. So just what would you like? What would you like to know? Specifically? Hey, hey, get, like, this, the audience wants to hear about it. Uh, they, they don't. They do. Um, OK, yeah. well, so I was a, uh, a walk on athlete and it's a division one uh, here at LMU where where I graduated um, from undergrad. Mostly I swam with water polo players who were off season. What was um, your event? My events, let's see, I did, I did some distance freestyle. So think whatever water polo players don't want to do. So that's what I was doing. So distance freestyle, um, breaststroke, butterfly, lots of like, you know, mid distance I am. And, um, I feel like swimming for me was therapeutic in a way. Like this was time where I, where I did a lot of thinking, um, and, it, I mean, I absolutely was a hundred percent shaped by my coaches in high school, um, you know, in the Chicago area. So, and I was, and I also was exposed to a lot of cool stuff, like, you know, doing yoga and dry land and yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't just swimming, but then I felt like I could figure out how to take swimming kind of post competition and say, what are you going to do now? Do you want to you know, swim for fun? Do you want to do yoga? Do you want to do Pilates? All the yeah. things that the strength coaches were teaching me then. Now that's just a real gift I have as an adult. So that's is that is that where you've gone with it? Because of, of all the sports, you know, um, running, running is a component of basketball. So sometimes mm. post-career basketball players will still run or you know, whatever it is, but swimming is so specific in terms of like, you need a body of water. Um, do you get back into the water or what, what, like, what have you, you mentioned the yoga yeah. and all that, is that more what um, your health and wellness routine looks like? I would say that, um, I stopped competitive swimming kind of, I mean, for your listeners, they, they may understand this, but in preparation for my wedding, I had to like shrink my shoulder base substantially. So that was, that was a decision that was more like wedding prep, but I felt like, um, kind of after that, I found other cool stuff that I enjoyed that I didn't think I was good at. That was something that as a swimmer, most of my life, I didn't think I could do other things like ab and core training. Cause I didn't learn how to really do that as a swimmer. Mm -hmm. And I think now swimming is working a lot more on dry land and strength, um, and out of the pool, um, conditioning as well. Do you see this? So, oh, yes. Swim and dive. There you go. <laughs> Um, but you're, you're right. Yeah. So now I like basically now, and after having four kids, like the focus is on core and posture. Cause I definitely still have, I can go like this very quickly with the swimmer shoulder. So, sure, sure. Uh, so, uh, oh. I, I do get back in the pool, but it's not for my, it's not for my cardio, but we just moved into a new house. I'm down near a pool that was, that's close to me. So it is something that I want to go to, but after so many years of competitive swimming, sometimes it's, um, I have to go try to like it again and not be timing myself. And yeah. <laughs> so that is such a powerful statement. I have to go try to like it again. I will say I love swimming. Our, our, uh, our girls swim team, obviously some people can't see I'm wearing a, a sweatshirt from our girls swim and dive team. They're, They're incredible awesome. people. They do. Yes. And the coaches are fantastic. 
I'll give a shout out to Coach Mac Guy, who has worked really, really hard to develop what has to be one of the most incredible swim cultures at the high school level around. He's a, he's wonderful. So are his athletes, but I will say also that, you know, I, we, one of the reasons he's worked so hard to do that is because just the, the, the nature of swimming from an outsider's perspective is, can be, can be so intense. It can be, especially um, people might know this, but because, you know, dry land is, is different, but because the pool offers the opportunity um, to essentially train without a lot of impact, therefore train more, therefore oftentimes like morning and night, you know, like, so there's so much time in the pool, uh, in the winter, it's like literally dark to dark, you know, it, it can be, okay, see, really these are the memories now that I'm just having like horrible flashbacks. I'm so sorry. I, mean, I love my coaches. I love it. But yes, yeah. this is what like, it's hard. This is, I have to disassociate. Yeah swimming you know the the doubles and ten thousand yards in a practice yeah. like i have to remove that and say it's okay if i only swim 20 minutes so i'm still mm -hmm. kind of working on on loving that and just being okay with that but that's my own self-awareness i have to go unpack well i'm 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 happy that you're in the process of unpacking it i'm sorry that it it happens <laughs> to you what an incredible lesson for coaches to hear though you know like Again, does your behavior match your goal? What, you know, if the goal is to develop a lifelong positive association to health and wellness and training mm -hmm. and swimming, then probably there's room to reconsider some of the methods, <laughs> I would say. Uh, yes. And I think, um, and I think it's stage of life too. I think all, sure. I think it's, it's never too late to say, okay, I'm 40 now. Like what sport am I going to do now? And that's what I'm hoping to do is just to like pick up something else or, um, trying to like do a little golfing or yeah. um, other things that I can, that I can consider hobbies. So trying to get a hobby is what I'm trying to do. <laughs> the uh, try to get a hobby. I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I got a, I got a question for you in this, the 11th yeah. hour of our, of our podcast here. It's just occurring mm -hmm. to me. If you had to reflect on your time as an athlete, Mm -hmm. um, and think of potentially, maybe they weren't quite as explicitly named, but think of some of the life lessons or social emotional skills that you learned during that time mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. in, in transition then to now in the work that you're doing on behalf of teachers, what, and I won't hold you to this. I'm just curious. What do you think are yeah. some of the most transferable lessons? Like what did you learn then? And what are you giving to mm -hmm. folks now? When I think about my, my years of swimming, there's the ideas of setting and achieving goals, I think is a fundamental SEL lesson. Yeah. And I think sports does that phenomenally well. Um, it's a tangible place for us to try and track things and monitor our growth and progress. Um, and, you know, too, I think, I mean, that I, I just feel like that's a hundred percent just you know, setting a goal, making a commitment and seeing it through. I think that's what I learned from sport. And I'm, I'm looking at the other ones, like establishing and maintaining positive relationships. I mean, what I learned from sport is teamwork, essentially. And just that I was never somebody who was the best or the fastest, but for sure was very aware of teammates' emotions, um, like their special gifts, what they needed to be successful so in serving as, as captain, it was 
really watching teammates, you know, prior to races in the locker room, um, you know, very Ted Lasso approach, if you will, to, to being able to read teammates and establish a place where people want to come and do their best. So it was a lot of the inclusivity and the, and the fun that had to be there to have fertile ground for people to really do their best. So that's how I learned really how to be like a school principal in a sense. I mean, yeah, yeah. It was like my teammates were my faculty. Like these were my teachers. We need to have a great year. We need to have a great open house. We need to have a great meet. So we got to have fun. We have to have routines and rituals. We have to be well prepared and we have to have a purpose for why we're doing it. I really like that. So, so here's what I heard just from that. Mm -hmm. I heard setting, setting, uh, setting goals, goal setting Mm -hmm. and achieving them. So you could put that in the category maybe of, of grit or resilience, not, you know, not just having the purpose, really going for it. certainly heard empathy and then, communication is not an SEL skill necessarily, but it certainly, it aligns with a host of SEL skills relating to peers and, and acting upon empathy, not just feel, feeling it, but uh, yeah. So those, yeah, I, I can, I can see why that would translate to a successful career. Absolutely. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's so many more takeaways, but that's actually, you know, just, you know, that's an exercise that we do. We ask people to reflect on, um, Really, actually, we asked them to ask uh, to to think about a coach um, mm-hmm. that got the most out of them that they really liked, and name some of the things that they think they were taught from that person or that that person embodied. And then mm-hmm. we walk people through during a workshop style um, situation. We we get to the back end and and we're like, we we do this a very similar exercise, but for leaders outside of sport. And then we try to identify similarities and and just very simply, like in your space, if it was good here and good here isn't that what we call a life lesson, you know, something that you take from back then to now and it, and it holds up just as much, but in a different setting. Um, couldn't we teach for those? Couldn't that be part of our purpose? And I think, I think the answer is, is uh, probably so. At least that's how it could be. Yeah, well, um, as, we, as we conclude, a shout out to the LMU men's and women's basketball teams. So WCC, better watch out. The lines are going to be strong and we have a <laughs> Our coach, Stan Johnson, who's really kind of, I think, Jim, you'd appreciate the the culture of excellence that he's really trying to build. And it's like a joy to watch a great coach who loves his or her players and really builds a community of positivity, of accountability around a team. And I think that's just like the marker for a great season. So Shout out to them. That's so incredible. Yeah. And, and one thing, I hope everyone hears that because one thing that you're clearly identifying is that that, you know, we, we navigate this water all the time. When you talk about SEL, when you talk about things like empathy and relationships, sometimes the super uh, results oriented, highly directed, highly competitive folks will dismiss this as, you know, soft skills, things that, that are nice, but not for me, like LMU basketball. What a great example. Um, no, these things go together. Absolutely. And not only is it the ethical, ethically correct decision, I think, to teach these to your young people, but it also lends itself to improved performance. Like these things definitely go hand in hand. You don't have to push the other away for sake of one. They work together. Absolutely. Just like yeah. they do, like you said, in your profession as a, as a principal, as a professor, yeah. as a, as a member of a family, whatever it might be. 
totally transferable. Yeah. Essential skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. Essential skills. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, listen, usually we, uh, we ask some like really hard hitting questions at the back of the podcast to close with a bang. Mine's not hard, hard hitting here. It's just, what did you dress up as for Halloween and what's your favorite Halloween treat? Okay. Well, for your, I mean, for your listeners, I mean, I was a referee, so I took it very literally. My role as a mom is mostly whistleblowing and enforcing rules and breaking up fights in the end zone. So, um, throwing the penalty flag when you, can you reuse that costume? Uh, did last year. Oh, did last year doing it again this year doing, I mean, this is, I mean, taking it to the flag football game and getting some of those calls, right? Okay. I can't just, (laughs) my blood pressure is. (laughs) Okay. Matt, my husband was not there for that game. So he only has the account of how my daughter who's eight is, is showing how mommy responded. So, um, so referee and, and yeah. Matt, my husband was a caddy because we feel like in these roles of referee and caddy, these are kind of the, this is the the life chapter we are in right now. Yeah. Flipping things around, That's carrying stuff actually. and enforcing. And, you know, I would say I used to have like a big sugar addiction. Like Halloween was hard to like, I mean, I think I ate my weight in candy for many, many years. Uh, me too. <laughs> This year I went more the, the Yeti route. So it was more like, um, okay. Hard kombucha. I can say that. I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Hard kombucha. I get the Yeti reference though. That's awesome. Yeah. So I went the Yeti route. And, um, so, I mean, this is not a plug for June shine, but I enjoyed the beverage and that was kind of my Halloween treat. I mean, so we, we all celebrate in our own way. So I would say that counts. Um, all right, here's what, so since very sincerely, thank okay. you. Yeah. Um, you're amazing. I, I, I'm grateful for this time. I'm grateful for your thoughts. I hope, I know people will learn from this. Um, I'm grateful for, um, what you're doing for educators, current leaders, future leaders, um, students all the time. I think it's exceptional. I think we need more folks like you, uh, mm-hmm. out there. So thank you. And yeah. I hope I'm, I'm looking at this beautiful LA background here. Yes. I hope to have you back out. Yes. And thank you for expressing and, and showcasing an attitude of gratitude. You just like live that you live in the yellow and, um, and I, and I love your curious mind. It's always a pleasure, Jim. Wow. Can't wait to see you. Can't wait to see you soon. In real there. life. In real life. In real life. I feel the same. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. 
find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.